listening to another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. Today, I guess the Christian world is known as Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is a a day in, in the biblical times where basically it was like the start of the end of the ministry of Jesus. And so at this day... All those years ago was the moment where it was the triumphant, the Bible declares it as the triumphant entry, where Jesus fulfills the prophecy from Zechariah 9.9, where he's riding an unridden donkey, a young colt, and he's riding it into Jerusalem. And there are hordes of people who are ripping palms, you know, off, uh, you know, off the neighbor's trees. I don't know about you, but I have an amazing wife, the, the love of my life. But uh, she loves to take things from other people's gardens. She, she loves to avail herself of somebody else's handiwork. She loves the fact that they've grown something she can then put in a vase in her own house. And here these people are. Could you imagine it? These people have grown these palms and they've finally got their driveways looking nice. And then all of a sudden Jesus is entering and the palm trees are bare, right? Could you just imagine that stumps, right? So people have grabbed these palms and put about it. Not only that. But they've actually taken off their cloaks and their cloaks represented their identity. It represented their status within society. It represented their worth. And they would take these off and they took them off and they laid them on the ground to prepare the way for Jesus to come. And Jesus, as we know from this side of the story, from the viewpoint that we have, which is a privileged viewpoint to be at, by the way, to be able to know the message of Jesus, to know the story of a Savior, to be on the other side where He has risen again. We have the power of the Holy Spirit amongst us, moving and dwelling. We were not in those days thinking, what on earth is going on right now? We have full access because of the viewpoint that we have. And we understand that Jesus was being, the, the, the I guess, the spotless Lamb once and for all that would be slayed for the sins of all. So that everybody could have relationship, that nobody would be excluded from the wonder of God's love. It would not be limited to a race, it would not be limited to a certain people group, but it was available to all. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And so we know the story where Jesus is riding in, and it's a big celebration, and there's lots of noise, so much so that the Pharisees and and the religious type are actually saying, come on, would you tell everybody just to calm down a little bit? Now, I don't know if you're used to maybe a bit more of a traditional environment, but maybe you know it came in tonight. You see all the young people up the front, passionate, going crazy, jumping, and you're just thinking, would they just calm down a little bit? But that's what I love is when Jesus gets a hold of your heart, when, when, when it comes alive on the inside of you, you can't help but express the wonder. You can't help but give praise. You can't help but dance. You can't help but get joy filled. And Jesus says to the mate, If these people were to be quiet, then even the stones, the rocks would start to cry out. And and the thing is, is that everybody's celebrating Jesus coming in. But Jesus knows that at this point, he's decided there's no turning back. What he is about to enter is not just a great Passover celebration. He is about to become the lamb that was slayed. And he is about to go to a point of no return. And that's what I love about our Jesus. That's what I love about our God is our God at this moment declares there's no plan B. There's no option. We think in the garden was the moment where he wanted to turn. He could have turned earlier, but on the donkey riding in as he fulfilled prophecy, he could have said, let's delay it for the next Passover. Let's wait another 12 months. 
But here he is riding upon it as it was declared to be, to be, and he is fulfilling this, and he's saying, I'm all in. There was a moment that for us, um, if you know a little bit of our story, uh, we moved from New Zealand here uh, five and a half years ago, and, and in our journey of, of God, I guess, and through our pastors, you know, revealing to us basically the next step that God had and us going to God for that, uh, to leave New Zealand and come to Melbourne to be a part of what God is doing here. And we're just so, who knows, on the other side of five years, you're unbelievably like, wow, God is so good. In that moment, five and a half years ago, you're like, wow, God, what are you doing? Because we had just bought a home, and many of you know that, and, and, and that was cool and all that kind of stuff. But here we are, a couple of months out from leaving and uh, to come to Melbourne and we had this home we had just bought, and uh, it was some. It was like our dream home. And what was awesome about it is that we could have come here and still owned that house, and it would have leased it out or rented it out, and it would have been a cash positive investment. Which who knows? That's really cool when you own a property and it's already you know uh, you're paying the mortgage and some. It's a really good thing to have, and especially when you're going somewhere new where you don't have a house. It's always nice to have a a little bit extra there and a safeguard, a little bit of a backstop, a little bit of an option on the other side, and. And, um, and I remember someone saying, you know, well, if it doesn't work out, you've always got that home to go to. And here we are in the middle of a meeting like this. And God says to me, Craig, uh, and he says to both of us, he said, Craig, no, no plan B. No plan B. I want you to sell the house. And I want you to step into this as if it's like the only option you've got. There's no way out. There's no testing the waters. There's no giving it a go. There's not see how it does, see what it's like, see if you like it, see if God moves, see if these things actually come through, see if His promise is actually, you know, fulfilled. No, no, it was no plan B. And so then we put the house on the market and it sold the week that we flew out. And we put ourselves in a position where literally we got nothing to go back to. We got nothing to go back to. And it was amazing because you're in this situation and I don't think we wanted to be in any other situation. Because who knows that if you go into something that God's even led you into, yet you still think that maybe there's another way out of it, who knows that you're all, when the time gets challenged and things get hard, who knows you're already looking for your exit plan. And I think too many times these days people are going into stuff with a half in, half out mentality. I'm in, but if it doesn't work out, then I'm out. Do you know that in some countries, they're doing marriages now that are actually for seven years, and then at seven years, you get to decide if you want to go any further. Because they're saying at the seven-year mark is the mark where people start to realize whether they fall out of love or they want to continue to love. You know, seven years is the year of completion. If you would just get through the seven. Come on, seven's actually a biblically profound name that's actually completion. Who knows? There's an attack to get to the point where you actually break through to the other side. There's a growing tide in our generation and in our culture where your word doesn't have to be your word anymore. It was funny, my awesome son Zion is here and he's nine years old and, and we love the outdoors and we love water and all that kind of stuff. And yesterday we're at Port Melbourne and Nadia was out on a paddleboard and having a good time and it was fantastic and, and we're hanging with the kids and, and they were like, come on, let's go for a swim. You said we'd go for a swim. Now, I haven't been feeling crash hot lately and, uh, and I said to him, yeah, no, no, I'll go for a swim with you. But then who knows that it's like every other option that's available, let's do that. There were some volleyballs there. We're like, let's play volleyball. You know, like, oh, no, let's keep an eye on your, on your brother. You know, he's sleeping. We better stay close. You know, like, oh, let's go have a look. Look, mom's over there in the distance. She's going to be back soon. Like half an hour, you know. But something within me is Zion's going, but dad, you said you would go. 
And for me and in my family, I've wanted to raise a conviction that my kids have is that when dad says he'll do something, he'll do something. And because I said to him earlier, yes, we'll go for a swim. It was like, all right, it doesn't matter how good you feel. Doesn't matter if you want to. Doesn't matter if you've got a wetsuit or not. Doesn't matter if you've got a change of clothes. I said, yes, it's yes. This growing conviction that we've got to be people of our word. And anyway, Zion throws the ball into the ocean, into the Port Melbourne Bay there. And, uh, and then he starts a competition, first one to the ball. And who knows, man, put a competition up and we're in, right? So I've got to beat my son at everything because uh, who knows, he's getting better and better by the day. And so one day he's going to beat me. But until that day, mate, just you realize I will teach you a lesson while I can. And, um, and, and we went for a swim and I go, hey, I, I really feel good for it. I feel like that ocean really cleared me out, uh, which is fantastic. But the last couple of days, I guess the last couple of weeks, actually, to be honest, I've been, I've been thinking about this amazing story, this amazing account of Elijah and Elisha. And, and how Elijah, now Elijah, if you uh, haven't heard, but he was, we're talking Old Testament, and Elijah was an incredible prophet, incredible man of God. He moved miraculously. He had great insight. He was incredibly articulate in the things of God. And he, and he spoke out things that hadn't happened, that would happen, and they did happen. And he stood, there's a, an account just before where I'm going to read, where he is literally having the fight of his life, right? And he's having a good time doing it. And it's literally 450 people, 450 prophets to one. Who knows that in, an, in a fight... You know, unless you're like a mad Spartan or something like that, like, you know, that's a pretty, you know, unless you're John Cena, um, there's a pretty bad odds, like, right? But here he is, and he's actually egging the enemy on. Come on, you can do this, right? And so they basically said, let's build an altar, and whichever, let's call on our gods, and uh, whichever one comes and consumes in fire, then that's the true God. And so he lets them go first, what a polite guy, and he lets them go first, and then they're basically chanting and singing and dancing, trying to call on their God, and he's like, call a little louder, call a little stronger, go on, and they're getting more and more like after it, but nothing happens, why? Because the world will present so many false gods, so many false promises, and say, oh, if you do this, you'll get that, if you do that, you'll get that, but who knows, it's empty when it's not attached to the Lord of Lords, when it's not attached to his truth, who knows, that that's not where happiness will be found, that's not where success will be found, that's not where wholeness will be found and he then goes and says okay build the altar for my God build the altar for the Lord who is going to consume this for fire and he says not only that go and get gallons and gallons and gallons of water and tip it all over it saturate it and then he says go and do it again go and do it again and it says that even the the uh the chasm or even the the channel around the altar now was saturated full of water and then he says at that point he turned to God and said God prove yourself to be real show the who the real God is and at that moment the whole altar everything that was saturated was consumed by fire and everybody was like, my gosh, your God is the one true God. It was unbelievable. And then literally, then all those other prophets got slaughtered. You know, so a little bit gruesome. But, uh, you know, it was pretty amazing at the same time. And what's amazing about that is then Elijah goes on and we understand that there's some other incredible things that take place. You know, the, the size, you know, the cloud, the size of his hand, go up the mountain, rain, I hear the sound of rain. And you know that, that all takes place is incredible. But then Jezebel, who is a, uh, an enemy of um, Elijah uh, catches wind and says, I'm going to kill you uh, for what you have done to all those other, uh, the other prophets. And basically he gets scared, runs off to the desert and wishes to die, which is unbelievable. So he's just denied 450 to one. 
And now one person comes and stands in front of him and he all of a sudden shoots to the desert and wishes he was dead. Isn't it crazy that in the middle of breakthrough, you can still feel the the reality of burden? Unbelievable. It's huge. And this is what God says. God says, I want you to go and anoint some, this king and this king, but then I want you to anoint your, your successor. I want you to anoint Elijah, Elisha. I want you to anoint Elisha. And I felt like God said in that moment, how many of us are doing things isolated? Because when we, even though we've got breakthrough and things God's doing, when we're isolated, who knows? It's not long between our head. Come on, what's going on up here? doesn't matter what big things God's done. All of a sudden, we're internalizing. And we're looking at what's not happening. We're looking at what we can't do. All of a sudden, what's so small actually seems big. And the context and the perspective is throwing way out. Can I encourage us? Come on. Don't live your, your God life. Don't live any of your life. Young people, don't put on a persona where people don't know the real who you really, really are. And this is what God's saying. I want you to get someone alongside you to walk your last days out. And this is where we pick up the story of, of Elisha. So in 1 Kings 19, 19, it says, So Elisha went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. I, I don't know about you. But there are some good names in the word. I mean, it was on our top two for our third son. I'm just thinking, Ezekiel, Shaphat. Ezekiel, Shaphat. Yeah, yeah. Ezekiel, just by a skim. Just by a skim. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. And Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Which is amazing because it shows to me that there was actually time between the cloak landing on him and him pursuing Elijah. Which is amazing because it wasn't just an event, it was an encounter. Who knows that when God encounters you, when God touches your life, come on, what can seem like a moment actually is a duration of time. And I'm believing tonight that we're going to have worship in a moment. We're going to declare no other name but the name of Jesus. I'm believing literally God's going to touch hearts and it's literally going to seem like just a moment, but actually it's going to be a duration of time. God's going to do something in your heart. And in that moment, God speaks to him and God says to him, I want you to become the attendant. I want you to follow Elijah. And so it's amazing because he then leaves everything, runs after and he says, hey, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye and I will come with you. And then... Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done for you? Isn't that amazing? Here is Elijah. He's anointed and knows he's going to be successor and then says to him, what have I done? But isn't it amazing that when God does something on the inside of you, come on, it's not about the people around you. It's not about the person. It's not about someone now egging you on. It's not about your leader now encouraging. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Go, go, go. When God's done something on the inside, you just try and stop me. You just try and discourage me. You just try and get me to stay where I was doing what I was doing. No, God started something and I've got to go after that thing. And so even in the discouragement of the one who put the mantle on him, he says, Wrong answer. I'm going after you. So Elijah, Elisha, uh, left him and went back. He took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. He was all in. There was no plan B. Then he left and he set out to follow Elijah, and he became his attendant. No plan B. No plan B. I got nothing to go back to now. Dad sure don't want me back. I just burnt the livelihood down. (laughs) Hey, Dad, love you. P.S. 
just killed all the oxen and burnt the plowing equipment. Have fun with that, all right? Like, like no plan B. Come on, I don't know about the things that God's led in your heart. I don't know about the things that God's placed in your spirit. I don't know about the areas maybe for a young person here, you've, you've stepped out of a certain lifestyle and you know that God's leading you forward. I don't know if, you're, if you've said to yourself, okay, th- then those things are gone. I'm done with that stuff. I'm now all in. Here is Elisha saying, I'm all in. I got nothing to go back to. This is it, right? Like, I can't, I'm not going to have that and have that. I'm not going to do that and do that. No, no, I am all in. And then the moment comes in 2 Kings 2, which is where we pick up the story of Elijah and Elisha again. And verse 1, it says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, how good is that? Talk about an exit plan. You know, like some people, I'm going to plan my funeral. I'm going to do this. This dude's just like, I'm just going. I'm going, you'll see some fireworks, you'll see some chariots, it's going to be awesome, but I'm, adios, baby, I'm out of here, you know, like, let's go. And I think this is a really good way to go. But Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me on to Bethel. Unbelievable. I've known this for a long time, but it still gets me that the very mentor, the very coach, the very one who's showing him the way, the very one who's like, you're my next guy. He's the same guy saying to him, stay here. Don't go any further. Stick with where you're at. That's far enough for you. There's no more you need to go to. And there's this conviction that rises up. There's a reality that this is the sense of, hey, I, I didn't choose an exit plan. I didn't choose to go with you so far. I'm going all the way. And he starts to walk forward and he starts to take him on a journey. And what's amazing is that, you know, we have the, the Logos, which is like the written word of God, and then we get the Rhema word of God. And as I was reading this and preparing, I felt like God gave me just, you know, three things, four things that we can grab a hold of as we learn about a, a full surrendered life, a no plan B state, a, a level of I'm not parking my faith here. I'm not setting up camp here. I don't care how much you tell me to stay. I'm not staying there because I know God's got something more for me. I'm, I'm heading forward. I'm going into all you've got. And so they went to Gilgal and they went from Gilgal to Bethel. And Gilgal, uh, Gilgal is a place that's called, um, that's, means the, uh, the circle of stones. And so Gilgal's on the edge of the Jordan. And if you understand a bit of the Bible story where how you had the Israelites, they came out of Egypt, they went into the desert, they're there for 40 years. And then Moses was meant to take him to the promised land, but then he struck a rock rather than speaking to the rock. Amazing how just little things that we want to try and do in our own strength. God's saying, don't do it in your own strength. Just give me, let me be the person. Let me do it the way I want to do it. He then has the successor, Joshua, and Joshua, they part the Jordan, they enter through, and then they take stones out of the middle, and they create an altar of remembrance as to what God had done. You capture all that? And so here they are in Gilgal, and he's saying to them, I want you to stay here. I want you to stay at the place where it's about yesterday's breakthrough. I want you to stay in a place where it's about yesterday's revelation. I want you to stay at the place where you're parked up at what God has already done. I want you to be parked up at the place where things of God have already taken place. Just live off what I've already done. Live off what I've done. And this is Elisha saying, I don't want to live off yesterday's revelation. Come on, I don't know about you, but we've got to be people that don't park at Gilgal. We've got to be people that don't park up at the area of yesterday's breakthrough. We don't stay at the point of what happened yesterday, but we've got a conviction that says God's not done yet. 
I'm moving forward. I'm taking an advancement. I'm pursuing the fullness of what God has. We've got to go through Gilgal. Don't stay there. When was the last time? Come on, when was the last time you had a breakthrough? When was the last time? Come on, there was something of faith that actually executed and enabled there to be a great breakthrough in your life. When was the last time? Come on, we, we, we live off the stories of yesterday. Are all the highlight reels in the Bible or have we got stories of our own? Come on, he tells us that there will be so many moves of God that there's not enough books to fill them. Are we filling the pages or are we just reading about the pages? Come on, there's got to be something God's saying, come on, I don't want you just to be a reader of it. I want you to be an outworker of it. Come on, don't park at Gilgal. Let's believe for increased breakthrough. Let's believe for increased turnaround. Let's believe for increased favor. Let's believe for increase in every area. And so it, it's amazing because, um, you know, they say, I'm going to, Elijah says, I'm going to go on to Bethel. But Elijah said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So then they went on to Bethel. And the company of the prophets at Bethel came to Elisha and asked, Do you not know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? He said, Yes, I know. Elijah replied, Elisha replied, But have you ever wondered why they didn't, didn't give him a bit of like a, just a little bit more of a different name? You know, they could have gone just a little bit separate, like Elijah and Matthew. You know, like just something like, anyway. Let's stick with where, what they wrote, who it really was. But Elijah, Elisha replied, do not speak of it. You know, I've been praying, and I was actually praying a lot last night and <coughs> the early hours of this morning, and, and, I, and I, even like as I was getting close to this morning service, I'm going, God, why? Why did he keep saying, don't speak of it? Why was he saying, don't speak of it? Every time you'll read as we go on, he says, don't speak of it, don't speak of it. And it's like, I felt like God just dropped this revelation in my heart because Elisha wanted them to realize that when Elijah was gone, the move of God wasn't. That it wasn't about a decrease. It wasn't about, it's a done deal now. It's about actually there's an increase coming. Don't, don't get yourself in a mindset where there's nothing more going to take place. Don't get yourself in a perspective, oh, well, if that man of God's gone, then it's all gone. What are we going to do next? No, no, God always has a plan. God is not the God of decrease. He's the God of increase. God's not the one of like, oh, it's over now. Who? What are we going to do? He's always got a succession. He's always got something that's going to take it to another level. And so he's saying, don't talk of what's going to be gone because it's not going to be gone. Because what's on Elijah isn't just a person. What's on him is a spirit. Yeah. <laughs> and who knows that the spirit of God has no favor of people. Mm. And he wants to land tonight. I believe the spirit of God honestly wants to land on people tonight. He wants to empower people tonight. He wants to increase people tonight. But we can't stay at Gilgal. Come on, if we want the increased presence of God, then we can't stay at the breakthrough that was. We've got to believe that for the breakthrough that will be. We've got to be in a place of living faith, not once was faith. And so they move on to Bethel. Bethel is the house of God. Bethel means house of God. And I felt like God said, come on, we cannot be people that just have Sunday faith. We cannot be people that just have Friday night faith. We cannot have a faith that just arrives and is, is in full expression when we're in the house of God. Now tell me, I am passionate about the house of God. I am not talking down about the bride. She's beautiful. She's amazing. She's life-changing. She's the cornerstone of society, the hope to humanity. But if our faith only is alive in here, come on, then our world is suffocating out there. 
Come on, the place for hope to be moving is not just in here, but it moves here so it can flow from here. Come on, mercy flows in here, but it's called to flow out of here when we get outside of these places. Come on, it's not contained to the house of God. Come on, if your faith tonight is just contained to an hour and a half on a Sunday, just contained to a couple of hours midweek when you go to someone's connect group and they bring a message to you, I'm telling you, God wants to expand you tonight. God wants to bring something fresh. He wants to increase your relational revelation of who He is and what He can do. We cannot stay at Bethel. But then He says to him, come on, you stay here. I'm going on to Jericho. And He says, Elijah, I ain't staying here. I'm going on with you. And then everybody says, did you not know that Elijah is going to be taken from you? And He's like, hey, don't speak of it. Don't speak of it. All right, we've got to go on. And so they go on to Jericho. Now we know Jericho to be the place in which when they crossed over the Jordan, those 500 plus years ago, they crossed over, they went to Gilgal, they set up, and then the first place, the first victory, the first uh, breakthrough they had was the walls of Jericho, where they walked around seven days, and on the seventh day, they walked seven times to blow the trumpets, and everyone praised, lift up, and then walls came tumbling down. And I felt like God said, you know what, Jericho can be the place where walls still stand. Don't park at the place where walls of fear stand. Don't park at the place where walls of doubt stand. Don't park at the place where walls of I don't know what's next stand. Don't park at the place where I can't see through that. I don't know how. If He's promised it, He can avail it. He can make it come to pass. Come on. And so I feel like God's saying, come on, there's some things that the enemy set up in front of you and you're thinking, I don't know how to get through that offence. I don't know how to get through that heartache. I don't know how to get through that that challenge. I don't know how to get through that insecurity. But if we would just be people that would not fall victim to the reality of the doubt of our inability, but we would stand on the promise of God's ability. Come on, and we would realise that He stood there seeing the walls crumbled because 570 years ago, they walked around and the goodness and the bigness of God caused that to take place. Who knows that 2,000 years ago, when our Jesus went to the cross and He died for all of us and He rose again victorious, He stood triumphant over everything. We stand in this place with a name above every name. So whatever wall wants to stand in front of you, you've got a name that's greater than that wall. You've got a name greater than that wall. Don't stay looking at the wall. You've got to carry on. And Elijah says to Elisha, I'm going on to the Jordan. And then they get to the Jordan. And basically at that point, the discouragement of following me stops. And it says there's 50 men in the company, in verse 7, of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water, and the water divided. That would just be awesome. Would it not? It's the Maribyrnong River. Oh, man, I don't feel like walking 100 meters down to that little overbridge. Wabam! You know, like, and we're through. You know, like, just, I mean, it'd be dirty and all that, but it would be good. And Elijah took his cloak and divided right to the left. And the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you? Because I'm about to be taken from you. And he said, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Not a double portion of you. I want a double portion of the God that's on you. How many times are we looking to people going, I wish I was like them. 
I wish I had what they had. I wish I had the gift they've got. You don't need the gift they've got. You don't need the style they've got. You don't need the clothes they wear. Come on, we need the Spirit of God. Come on, that's able to actually enable us to be all God called us to be. Let me inherit a double portion. And he said this, you have asked a difficult thing. Yet when you see me, if you see me, when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it won't. I want to ask you, what are we asking for? Are we asking for things that are easy? Are we asking for things that make it more convenient? Are we asking for things that create it to be more comfortable? Are we asking for things that cause our situations to change? Or are we asking for something that's going to cause the transformation and the change for others? Because we know that Elijah went on to be double effective. We know that he went on and one of the first miracles he did was the healing of the water, which enabled the whole, this whole city to find uh, you know, the ability to thrive and to, and to grow. And to, it wasn't, the double portion wasn't for Elisha to be like, I got a double portion, bam, you know, like, yo, double me up you know like it wasn't it wasn't for him it was for others are we asking something difficult because we want something for others are we asking something just for us challenges me big time and as they were walking along together suddenly chariots of fire and horses appeared and the separated the two of them and Elijah went up in the heaven in the whirlwind Elisha saw this and he cried out my father my father the chariots and the horsemen of Israel and Elisha saw him no more then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them apart Wow. He picked up the cloak that had been fallen from Elijah and he went back and he stood at the banks of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and he struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. When he struck the water, it divided right to the left and he crossed over. And the company of prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went and they met him. They bowed down to the ground before him and they said, look at this very servant. We will serve you as we served him. Come on. It's not over. He's not dead. It's not done. God's not finished. He has something more. Band, if you want to come and join me, we're going to get into a moment of encounter really, really soon. But a couple of things I want to pick up from this. If we want to go and we've got to go to the Jordan. Come on, we've got to get to the Jordan. We've got to get to the place where we cross over. Come on, from the natural to the supernatural. From my ability to God's empowerment. From what I can do and what I see to what God has in store and the purpose and plan that he has but when we cross over if we want to pick up the more of God we can't stay clothed in the same of what we had yesterday we've actually got to get on a new mantle we've got to get on a new clothing we've got to get a fresh look in the things of God I love that the Jordan means the place of descending the place of flow down when you get to the Jordan when you get into the river of God's presence who knows there is a descending of his spirit there is a descending of grace there is a descending of power that comes upon us and in that place who knows that God starts to move miraculously God starts to move significantly isn't it incredible that it was in the Jordan where Jesus was baptized he's baptized in the Jordan he comes out of the water and the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit like the form of a dove came upon him and power came upon Jesus and the words of God are heard amongst the congregation or amongst the crowd and he says this is is my son whom I love 
and with whom I'm well pleased. I love the fact that when we get into God's presence, come on, when we get into the Spirit of God, what we do is we increase the wonder of who He is in our life. We increase the reality of our identity. We start to really know who we really are. We start to start to understand who God is in our circumstance and in our situation. I love what Mariana said earlier. Come on, when we worship, it's not about my feeling. It's not about my situation or my state. It's about putting myself in a place where there can be an exchange that can take place, where God can do something on the inside of me despite what's happening outside of me, where God is enabled there to be an exchange, where God is enabling there to be a fresh spirit, a double portion, an increase. And I've been stirred today. I've been stirred recent times. I'm just saying, God, I don't want just enough. I don't want just a little bit. I want a double portion. I want the increase of who you are. I want the don't want the dying out. I want don't want the done. I don't want the looking at what's been before. I don't want to reserve it just to a Sunday or a Friday. I don't want it to be something where I'm standing at the objects of fear or insecurity or these walls. Now I want to be a Jordan liver. I want to be a Jordan crosser. And I love the fact that when he crossed the Jordan, the first miracle of Elisha was the same of the last miracle of Elijah. He stood on the shoulders of what went before him and he entered a whole new. I'm telling you tonight, I believe that God wants us to stand on the shoulders of the faith that's been before us and start to go at a whole nother level. Come on, are you hungry for that tonight? Are you desperate? Are you wanting more of His presence? Are you wanting, come on, to move on from where I've settled to stand into something fresh? this podcast from life if you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message visit lifeau.org